You're listening to IoT Leaders, a podcast from SI that shares real IoT stories from the field about digital transformation swings and misses, lessons learned, and innovation strategies that work. In each episode, you'll hear our conversations with top digitization leaders on how IoT is changing the world for the better. Let IoT Leaders be your guide to IoT, digital transformation, and innovation. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the IoT Leaders Podcast with me, your host, Nick Earle, the CEO of SI. Now, in this episode that you're about to hear, I was delighted and indeed honored to be joined by the head of IoT for Azure globally, Tony Shakib. Uh, Tony and I have known each other for many years, which in fact he refers to in the broadcast. But what he was doing is giving Microsoft's vision for IoT and the business implications and the business opportunities for for customers. I, I really think you're going to enjoy it. And for those of you who always wondered about what a digital twin was or the metaverse, well, this is the podcast for you because he actually very effectively simplifies that and talks about, about Microsoft's digital twin strategy, but also what the metaverse is going to be for uh, industry going forward and why it's much more than second life, which is what you might think it is so far. And we uh, finished the podcast by just giving a vision of how all the different technologies in the industry will come together and eventually um, all uh, collaborate on behalf of um, uh, customers, which will uh, produce a huge increase in productivity, particularly between companies, between companies that are collaborating across things like supply chain, etc. So a lot in the episode, a lot of great uh, content, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So with that, uh, let me uh, hand you over to my conversation with Tony Shakib, the GM of uh, Microsoft Azure for IoT. So Tony, thanks again for joining us. We've done quite a few of these podcasts. And one thing that the listeners, uh, I think, always always like is is to actually learn a little bit more about the person before uh, they go into the subject matter. So just for the people who don't know you, I mean, uh, I think a lot of people do. You're the GM of uh, Microsoft Azure IoT. So it's a you know a big player in the IoT industry. We're delighted to have you on the, on the show. But, you know, you haven't always been that. So uh, what's the quick potted history of uh, Tony from sort of university onwards? So first of all, Nick, thank you so much for having me on the show. I really enjoy the series that you put together. It's very informative and really honored to be here today. You know, in terms of my uh, background, you know, I spent uh, the first 18 years after college at Nortel and Bell Northern Research, which at the time was like the Bell Labs of Canada. A lot of innovation, and I got to learn nationwide networks, like how to put together things that connects the continents together and had a lot of fun there. Then I was CEOs of three different companies, you know, here in the Bay Area. One of them still around, one we took public, and the last one I sold it. Uh, of which Cisco was an investor. It was a fascinating company in the area of home automation and home control. That kind of got me into IoT. Then I spent eight years at uh, Cisco, four years running emerging markets out of UK, where Nick, you and I had the uh, great opportunity to work together. And then the last four years, really leading the IoT practice for Cisco. And it was a fascinating job because you know, we really need to learn 
industries. We really needed to understand, you know, what are the business problems that these industries are trying to solve and then apply technology towards solving it. So that kind of like got me into this industry learning mode and IoT. And then, uh, you know, I've now been with Microsoft for five years. It's been an incredible journey and, uh, you know, trying to do the same thing, really applying cloud technologies to solve business problems and accelerate, you know, value delivery. So that's kind of like my background. And uh, again, thanks for having me here today. And, you know, in terms of full disclosure, we did work together at Cisco and, and actually looking at your LinkedIn profile, I, I think we graduated around about the um, uh, same time. So uh, for, of course, a lot of our viewers will be thinking, well, these guys look uh, far too young to have had this much experience. But, but seriously, you, you, I mean, based on what you just said, you've had a tremendous experience and it, and it is interesting the the synergies between networking and iot um because of course iot represents an extension of the network you know to the edge and when i started off part of my career but the middle of it was we were extending from you know mainframe to client server to pcs to cloud and then it was phones and now of course the big extension is the itot edge and on that point i was looking at the uh, gartner and the famous magic quadrant and you know there's a lot of hyperscale cloud uh, plays out there but microsoft i think i've got this right you've been the leader in the magic quadrant now in this um for 3 years in the, in the in the run so first of all congratulations back to you what is it that you're doing uh, those guys are, are are tough i mean they they push you hard we got interviewed by gartner what are you doing that has kept you in that leadership position and you know what would you explain the value proposition why you're winning that award each year yeah good question Nick. so first of all we're very honored and humbled to be in the number one spot for industrial iot you know the the number one hyperscale cloud provider and yes they are tough you know this is not an easy position to gain you know they really come look at your technology, look at your ecosystem, look at your customers, talk to them, and they make that determination. And honestly, I think it's a combination of all those three factors. You know, we have heavily uh, invested in IoT, you know, and because we believe it's the biggest source of data that will come into the cloud. Most of the estimations that we've looked at you know, only about 30% of the data is the CRM and the digital data. 70% of it will be the non, you know, what we call observational data that comes from sensors and high capacity sensors like cameras. So it's an area that we really believe in and we've heavily invested in three major areas. One is our technology stack or, or uh, tech stack that the whole IoT portfolio is one of the most comprehensive in the world, right? Both on the cloud side through IoT Hub, which is our gateway into the cloud. And also we really believe in the edge with IoT Edge where a lot of the magic happens on the edge and a lot of the things will actually run at the edge. And then the orchestration between the edge and the cloud. We also have heavily invested in digital twins, which is how do you create these ontologies and this uh, knowledge data graph, semantics graph that can, you know, help you build these highly complex IT, OT solutions, simulate it and drive it. So, you know, the technology is pretty complete. We also, our strategy to go to market is through partners. We've heavily invested in our ecosystem. 
And that's really another area that we're doing very well. You know, having over 5,000 IoT partners in different technologies, geographies, it really helps. And then lastly, we have a super focus on different industries. Even though we have all this technology, it's just not going to come together by itself. So we put a lot of care into understanding, you know, the industrial IoT manufacturing, both discrete and process, the energy sector, you know, healthcare, transportation, and then trying to really provide a guidance on how our technology should be applied and built through our partners or collection of partners to go to market. So it's a lot of work, it's a lot of heavy lifting, but it's yielding results. And that's kind of like how it manifested itself through the Gartner report. And, you know, we're very happy about it. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and maybe I just picked, you mentioned four areas. Maybe I just picked two to uh, sort of unpack because I'm sure it's piqued the interest of, of, of listeners and viewers on social media where they get the video feed. But but um, the first one is uh, the, the ITOT edge. IT is expanding rapidly to the edge, but it in some cases it's brand new devices, it's brand new, there's nothing there already, okay, it's, it's filling a vacuum. But in other cases, in fact, in the majority of cases, it's bumping into something, which is legacy equipment, which isn't smart. In fact, it's the opposite of smart. I mean, in the, in the factory environment, it can be 20, 30 years old. I mean, these things are going back to the old SCADA days. And it's, a, it's assets that are very expensive. They'd probably be completely depreciated, but they're not really work. They're not part of this information model. So you mentioned the phrase, the IT, OT edge. What's your view on what the potential is for enterprise customers to bring the operations technology side of this into their IoT? And, you know, the whole issue of, it's like you said, it's all about the data. In fact, the data is actually more valuable than the asset. But at the edge, you've got a tremendous amount of legacy assets. So that must be a, a big area that you talk to, to uh, customers about. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And, and to be quite honest with you, Nick, originally when we started this whole IoT journey, and it was actually before me, Sam George has been the leader of this group driving it. I mean, a lot of our focus was on the green field. Right. And then how do we create standardization? I mean, we were one of the founders of OPC UA of how do we kind of like do that in a much more effective way. And even though we're having really good traction and success, the fact of the matter is that 80, 90% of the opportunity and the data is coming from legacy brownfield devices that have been there for a long time. The refresh cycle in a lot of these factories are like 30, 40 years. You know, once they install, like you said, the SCADA system, they live there for a long time. So you can't ignore that. And, you know, so that's why we kind of like shifted our strategy or augmented our strategy about three to four years ago to also go after the legacy devices, which meant that we had to heavily think about, you know, their characteristics, the way they generate the data, what's the most cost effective way to do the conversion, where do you do it, and then all the protocol conversions that's involved, and the, and some of them are on very constrained battery operated devices. Some of them are not. So that's why we built a lot of technology to effectively be able to handle both uh, greenfield and brownfield. And, you know, some of the examples are like you go to a big, uh, you know, retailer, you know, where they have, you know, hundreds of security cameras already there for certain functions, 
they're not going to go yank them out. So instead of doing that, then we're putting an edge device that has enough GPU power that can make those ordinary security cameras smart, augment them to do you know, inventory management, theft management, shrinkage, without having to change anything in the store. You just put this other edge device, and that's yeah. where you add the brain that the you know the AI machine learning functionality without disrupting what's already in the store. Sometimes we do it there. Sometimes we do it with the operators through the 5G edge. And sometimes we can process it back in the cloud. It really depends on the application. So those are the kind of like that hybrid architecture that we've needed to develop. And then the way that we could do the conversion of both, you know, uh, greenfield and brownfield devices to accommodate, you know, whatever is the customer scenario. Yeah, and 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 I remember, well, in our Cisco days, but but if we were talking to people from Ericsson, Nortel, whoever, we would all, as an industry, talk about the fact that eighty percent of processing is moving to the edge, eighty percent of data is moving to the edge. It's not getting backhauled to the center. And so when you describe that. You know, we used to say, didn't we? It's not that it's a data center. What we've now got is centers of data. So the the data center is actually exploding into pieces and to being distributed. But you do still need a common architecture, don't you? I mean, I mean, what you described is is an architecture problem because it's a data architecture. It's a process. It's governance. It's a security issue. The consequences are far far broader and complex than an aggregation device for that video for that video content at the edge. Yeah, you know, Nick, that, that is an excellent point that I think a lot of people don't understand. Just because you have to process the data at the edge, you know, because there's just too much data being, uh, you know, generated, or you don't have the uplink to absorb the data, or various reasons. They need to be air-gapped because of certain conditions. It doesn't mean that you don't need a central nerve center to manage these edge devices. Yeah. You know, you still need to make sure that these things are healthy, they're secure, they're having the right firmware, they're functioning properly, and you know, doing their job, but centrally managed. And that's what we do, you know, between in our architecture. You know, we can you know, manage the data wherever it needs to be managed, but centrally keep track of everything in the cloud and provide that, you know, global view of, of the, you know, the most efficient way to run your business. So that's what we call the hybrid, you know, intelligent edge, intelligent cloud architecture. Yeah. And because it's so complex, I think both, both companies, yourself to a much greater degree than us, but certainly we actually, our first engagement is, services led so to speak giving advice and architecture advice and whatever because if you just do the technology but you don't do that piece the, the project fails which kind of brings me on to the second big question is that I, that's sort of what you've done so far and you've you've got the leadership but but I know having uh, visited you guys up there pre covid days in fact, I was up there. I don't really recall. I came to one of your IoT summits, and I think yes. it's February yes. uh, 2019. And then we read in the press after, a week after I got back to London that, that the first outbreak in the US was not far away from, yes. from your offices. Yes. That's my last trip to the US. I still haven't been yeah. back yet. Um, but but I know from that one and, and your recent ones, which have been virtual, that you're not standing still. In fact, you're working on a lot of new stuff now. Because over and above everything that you've talked about, there's a whole bunch of things that you're now talking about, uh, you, the company, 
and sometimes people scratch their heads and and you know one of the purposes of this iot leaders podcast is to try and demystify some of the things that's going on and just you know break it down and talk and make it real and so the one that that i heard about for the first time in 2019 at your event was digital twins uh, and i know that you're making a big deal microsoft makes much more of it in my view of that than any other company you really believe in it so maybe for for the listeners can can you just sort of simplify digital twins what what is it and what what's it used for and what are the benefits yeah that's a great question you know we stumbled into digital twins through our smart buildings practice and what we learned is that you know for it's like when you're building a house the first thing that you need to do you need to bring the architect and you need to kind of like start thinking about where everything's going to go you know the floors the walls and all the way down to the thermostat devices chairs and things like that and it's it's sometimes hard to think about how are you going to digitize your business before knowing you know how this product is built you know where do you put things what's the best way to do it and that's the fascinating job that an architect has if you think about digital twins it's like the job of that architect right that you have to go and create a semantics you know graph it's an it's kind of a knowledge graph but it's more on the data schema and data semantics of creating the relationship between you know the actual devices the people and the environment so it's that context that's super important and when you have that context the beauty of it is two things one is that before you actually go build a product think of it as an engine you can do a lot of simulation to figure out what is the best way to build that engine rather than building it 50 times and doing trial and error yeah. you can kind of like try to figure out what is the best placement of things to kind of like create that environment right so you get to the you know optimum position faster and then the second value is that once you built it and this thing is up and running it's not like everything's static things change all the time so without disrupting your business then you can always run active simulations and ai modules to uh, ai algorithms to figure out like how do you how do i keep running this thing better and better to improve the efficiency and the capability right so those are the two things and that's really what you know what we're doing is that we're providing a service for our customers that they can model their business you know and then they can have that ontology whether it's a mall whether it's an airport whether it's a hospital that they can keep track of how it's functioning they have real time visibility of its performance and they can keep tweaking it without bringing it down by the way you know the core concept of digital twins started with nasa with apollo 11 you know when they sent the first one to outer space they couldn't tinker with it anymore so they had a replica of it and they can try things on it figure out yeah hey what are, what is the best thing to do and then they sent the commands to the one that was actually in space that's where it all started back in 60s and now just getting perfected and getting better and better you know the the vision i've got in my mind tony when you're describing that is i was thinking about the house and the architect is that you know when i bought my last house i mean even as recently you know not that many years ago you basically got a brochure and a floor plan but you had no idea what the house was. You had no idea what the house was and you had to go and visit the house. And then just occasionally people, it started to be, you could go to a website and you could you could get a camera and you could see someone else walking around the house. Yeah. 
but what you're describing is 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 where you could actually almost like enter the house uh, or the architect or the builders that could say well would this work if i was to put a door here would this would this work if i was to do this and so on an ongoing basis try out your home improvements try out uh, changes to the house without actually doing it in the house and making a mistake and having to undo yeah. it. Um, yeah. And it sounds, it actually is enabled by all these technologies and it sounds so familiar to, or similar rather to, you know, an announcement that we've all seen recently, which is um, well, Facebook, you know, and Facebook talking, renaming the company Meta and uh, lots of comments as did they do that for other reasons, but we won't go there. But the idea of the metaverse, and it, it's always seemed a bit futuristic. I, I remember when Second Life came out, I, along with many others, sort of went in there and after about 10 minutes, I got bored and <laughs> I was thinking, tell me uh, why I would do this. And then it started coming into by the gaming industry and people found ways to make money and buy digital tokens and whatever. But I know that's something else that, that the idea of meta and uh, metaverse is something that, that Microsoft is is also taking very seriously. I mean, I mean, the digital twins is one example, isn't it? But but you believe that it will enter our lives and and it will change a lot of things, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we we uh, we believe in metaverse in a big way, and Satya and Sam George and many other leaders at Microsoft have been talking about it. For a while, you know, I think about nine months ago, you know, we discussed it and we're actively are working on it. So first of all, you know, the whole concept of metaverse, to make it very simple, it's really to bring, you know, we have this, we have this previous concept that we call reality as a service. And it's basically bringing compute to every environment. And when you bring compute and intelligence into an environment, it can help create really amazing things. That is the simplest form of what I think about, you know, when I talk about metaverse. If you think about the metaverse itself, it really is like three different domains that we separate out. There's a consumer metaverse, which I think is where, you know, uh, Facebook is mostly focused on. There's the enterprise metaverse, and then there's the industrial metaverse. So we're focused on the latter two, not so much on the first one. And you've seen like recently, at Ignite, which is our big event, we talked a lot with our teams on the enterprise metaverse, you know, the kind of things that we could do to in the collaboration, you know, using avatars and other forms of virtual reality to make engagements a lot more engaging and interesting. And we're obviously in the IoT side or heavily focused on the industrial IoT side of the metaverse. And basically, you know, we have it. Metaverse is comprised of a lot of different technologies. And when we talk about metaverse, it's like how do we compose our stack together in a lot, you know, more seamless fashion that we can bring those real, you know, virtual ideas to reality. And as you said, so it's not futuristic, it's something that people can take value, you know, out of it right away. And the way we're kind of like thinking about it is that IoT is the foundational layer to bring all the data. It's the ingest layer of the observational data. We have to be in touch with the real world. That's what IoT brings forward. The next layer is digital twins, 
that will start making sense of that data, of how do we put it in the context of the environment that they live in. The next layer is the synapse, which is our analytics engine that says, okay, all the data is coming in and I've got it into the right schemas, but what is that data really telling me, you know, in terms of, you know, the business values that we want to deliver, whether it's, you know, inventory reduction or OEE optimization or asset uptime. So that's the next layer. And then from there, we have another set of technologies like Banzai that is machine reinforcement learning. And then we have our AR, VR capabilities and many other things that once you compose the whole stack together, you can see that we can get that physical data, start modeling it, visualizing the data, you know, that's been contextualized and then imagine what are the best outcomes and quickly get it to those you know, outcomes that people are looking for. So it is like a, you know, the two worlds of the actual physical world that we live in, the virtual world that we want to live in and connecting them together and making it real. That's kind of like what we're trying to do with Metaverse. The image I have in my mind, and I'd like to in a minute go on and ask you about the sort of individual technologies uh, like 5G and others, but 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 if the image I had in my mind was when everything becomes connected. So let's just take 5G inside a factory, everything, millions of sensors, everything will be connected, private LTE networks. But your four-layer model that you you described is that if you could do that, and if you could do that between companies, not just within a company, then you could actually start modeling. Uh, to use a word, it's much more than modeling. It's scenario testing. It's 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 seeing the effects of things. It's almost like complex weather patterns. Almost is millions of uh, of things, and actually trying to map it and say, if this changes over here, does it change over there? So the idea of supply chain collaboration between companies, the ability for companies to to do that between each other, that then becomes something you physically can't do without this. I mean, you can't, the only way you can do it is to, is the companies collaborate. You can't model it, but, but what you, am I right that what you seem to be painting is, is, is a world where what if we could model collaboration between companies and dynamic collaboration. And that's tremendously powerful. Yeah. In, in our IOT journey, we've always have talked about three phases of maturity. One is the connected products right? They effectively connect an elevator and, you know, whether it's up or not. And the other one is what we call connected uh, environments, which digital twins brings forward. And then the third stage of maturity is what we call connected ecosystems, that not only you're running your own operations, you're extending it to the people upstream and downstream. When we introduced Metaverse, you know, we had a great video uh, that I encourage uh, all of your uh, viewers to go see. It's on YouTube. And we did it with AB InBev. And then the best story that I can tell is that AB InBev, you know, it's a company that's been around for 150 years. They make beer, you know, and the person that sits at the center, it's the brewmaster, right? And most of them are actually ladies, interestingly enough, that kind of like the way it started. And then they have a very big challenge because they have to, produce, you know, the same tasting beer in 170 countries around the world, right? So they're sitting in the middle, but they're in the middle of a very complex supply chain, all the way from the the way they get the barley, which field it comes from, the rain and all the stuff. 
to when it comes to the factory, to the whole operations and to the distribution and then the way they deliver it, there's a million variables along this path that always is constantly changing. And they have to be in control of it to manage this thing so the same quality comes out reliably and consistently day after day in 170 countries. It's not an easy thing to do. Not easy, no. No. And almost like every process manufacturing company that you go to, you know, they have the same challenge. Same, same challenge, yeah. Consistency. Variables that they're in control of, variables that they're not in control of, events that they predict, events that they don't predict. That's, I guess that was why I had the weather analogy. And that's a weather in your case is a is a really good one. If, if, if you have storms where the, 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 the hops and the barley are grown, it has a huge effect downstream eight months later. Exactly. Look at the problems that we have now around the world with the supply chain and supply chain diversification and chip shortages and all that stuff. So to be able to manage all of that, I think, first of all, you need to visualize the data to understand what kind of state you're in. Honestly, a lot of people are running their business blind. You know, it's still with Excel spreadsheets. I don't know what are the issues. Second is contextualizing the data So it's not the individual pieces of the data, but putting it all together in the context of their business. Third is simulating the data to see which one is going to give them the best outcome. And fourth is actually executing on that data to the point that it's being done autonomously. So it's the computers making those decisions and either augmenting human decision-making or they're doing it on their own. Those are kind of like the levels of maturity that we all need to go through. And any business that's at the fourth level, they're going to be incredibly more successful than their competition. That's quite a journey uh, for people. It, 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 um, and it, it's, a, it's an executive, it, it, it raises IoT from the project, product, individual product uh, uh, layer in the company to the CXO executive suite layer. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I would agree with you, I, I think very few companies in our experience I've really grasped that. It's still, in many cases, a, a project. And one of the reasons it's a, it's a project is that people are, which brings me to the fourth big question, one of, the, one of the reasons it's a project is that it's still, frankly, too damn complicated. I mean, the reason um, <laughs> I've got a balloon behind my head is some of our imagery is around, uh, you know, rising above the complexity and giving you the view of what's, uh, of what's happening. So, so actually, if we can flip from the, the overall view and then down into some of the more basic technology components, we are, as SI, you know, we are, we are, uh, we are cellular and we have a, a bunch of customers for the Fortune 10, 2,000 customers. But, but there's a lot of other technologies out there. When you were telling your story, I was thinking of satellites. You know, I was thinking of satellites and uh, I was listening to a podcast by uh, Danny Fortson, who's the technology writer for the Sunday Times. And he interviewed a company called Planet that photographs the world twice a day. Quite amazing. From shoebox-sized satellites. And, and so, you know, that idea of monitoring the crops, you have to use satellite. And then, um, uh, obviously, cellular, we understand, but um, 820 cellular companies out there. But then you've got other technologies which are really uh, LP1, low-power battery device optimized. And I noticed in my research that that that, that you are, um, I think you have joined the board of, of LoRaWAN um, uh, as a foundation, if I've got that right. So, yes. so maybe you can just explain a little bit about what, what that's all about and how you see these pieces 
fitting together because it is complex for people. You have the vision yes. and you have all these technologies and some of them seem to compete and yet others, they have to be complementary on behalf of the customer. Yeah, no, that's a good question. You're absolutely right. I did, uh, very happy to join the board of uh, Laura. Uh, it's a great set of companies. And, uh, you know, the reason that I did it is, you know, first of all, from a Microsoft point of view, we're really agnostic to the way that the data comes in. Our goal is to be able to ingest the data and do incredible things with it in the cloud and be the world's computer, right? And we work with all technologies, you know, whether it's narrowband IoT with many of our, you know, cellular operators, whether it's 5G, whether it's just physical layer coming in, you know, uh, it doesn't matter. But LoRa is yet another channel to connect, you know, hundreds of millions of what we call highly constrained devices. Devices that, as you said, are battery operated, that need a long range to be able to get through them, that are in difficult areas, like in a building, you know, in the basement or whatever. And LoRa just seems to be a very a good technology to be able to get to these things. You know, it has somewhere, you know, reliably 10 mile range. Some of these things can be on a battery operated device for five to seven years. Yeah. And uh, it just solves a big problem. So that's what we're really excited about it. And there's just many applications where, you know, there's an enterprise in the middle of nowhere, but they don't have any kind of other connectivity. And then they can put this gateway in there. They get the range. They have visibility of their devices. They can reliably manage them. And that's yet another way that we can add the services that we have on Azure, you know, and our IoT cloud to these devices. That's why we joined. We're really excited about it. And for like uh, utility market, there's a lot of good traction around it for logistics market. You know, like you have a ship out on the sea, it's got a lot of different containers, things need to be monitored. It's a great way. And then they could have a satellite backhaul for, you know, a lot of the logistics, cold chain tracking, it's, it's great. And also in healthcare and uh, agriculture in particular, it's got wide applicability. So we're pretty excited about it. And yet, you know, it's, it's another technology to add to our portfolio. And I think at Microsoft, we can really help with some of our capabilities like plug and play to make it easy for these lower devices to just connect to the network seamlessly and work. That's why we joined. Yeah, and, and, and probably that's a good way to try and wrap a bow around this to finish because I think, as I said at the beginning, you and I have... Uh, been around the technology industry for a few years. Um, and one thing that we've always seen, it's always been the case, is that the industry tends to talk about itself a lot and doesn't talk about how they solve problems enough. And so, you know, you get debates about, well, what about LoRa versus Sigfox versus private LTE versus public this versus satellite? We get asked questions about that. But really, from a user point of view, they they really they don't want us to um, uh, compete. What, what they actually want is the business outcome. In fact, you know, we are, we design hardware. We've we've designed over over two hundred hardware devices for our customers. And what we basically say to them is, look, you're a you know you're a meter company. You're a, you mentioned the utilities, or, or you're a uh, Costa selling selling coffee. You don't want to have to go back and design hardware in the same way. You don't want to have to be an expert on all of the different radio access network technologies. And I still think it's a challenge for all of us to 
to actually translate it from from inside out to outside in. In other words, let's let's talk about what the business benefits and the roadmap of how you get there. And we've got people who can work out the technology pieces and they'll change over time. But I think we are maturing as an industry. I think we've we've it's just that you're seeing the maturing in IoT right now, which you know we were talking about this in the 80s, we were talking about it in the 90s, the first decade of uh, 2000s, and now we're talking about it in IoT. But we will, we will make it all interoperable. I mean, technology always starts off as proprietary. User demand causes uh, the introduction of interoperability in some forms of standards, and then uh, adoption goes through an inflection point, and that's always been the rule for technology. And I think our feeling is that that's where we are right now, and we are seeing, as you said, we are seeing now some great case studies of people who have sort of punched through all of that and are getting returns or business outcomes in orders of magnitude greater. I mean, in the case just of what you just talked about, the idea of ushering in the era of massive IoT. So not just IoT, but but getting the sensors down and and pricing so it can actually be attached to a thing, uh, maybe a printable center, a a a printable battery. So then you can start putting sensors on food supply chain, uh, uh, vaccines, uh, plow sensors into the soil so they can measure measure the um, uh, uh, the water content so you know where to turn the waters on things like that. That seem we seem to be getting to that area where these solutions are, are now coming, and so um, that's a whole another podcast on, on its own to talk about some of the case studies that we're we're both seeing. Absolutely, I've got an eye on the clock, and I want to be respectful of your time. So I'm going to sort of draw it to a close here. Thanks very much uh, for um, demystifying it, which is what we're, we're trying to do. I think a lot of people would have learned an awful lot about architectural models, digital twins. Maybe metaverse really is a thing, and um, there is something behind what uh, uh, Zuckerberg is saying, not just renaming the company. And um, the idea of virtually modeling an enterprise in a multi-company collaborative environment by business process is enough to blow anyone's head. Maybe in a few few years, we'll take that for granted and we'll be talking about the uh, AI and ML on top of it and all the things we can do. But in the meantime, Tony, thanks again. I really appreciate it. And um, and for you, the listeners, thank you for uh, listening or watching. Uh, this has been the IoT Leaders uh, podcast. And if you uh, want to reach out, well, that's a question for you, Tony. If if people want to message you at all uh, or ask you questions, is there some uh, uh, yeah. the best way of doing it if they want to ask? Yeah, you? I think LinkedIn is probably the easiest way. And a lot of people do reach out. And I really welcome that. Please do. And, uh, and Nick, thank you so much for having me here. Really enjoyed our conversation. Great. All right. Thanks again. And um, if you want to ask me a question, you can do LinkedIn as well, Nick Earl, E-A-R-L-E, or iotleaders at com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to IoT Leaders, a podcast brought to you by SI. Our team delivers innovative global IoT cellular connectivity solutions that just work, helping our customers deploy differentiated experiences and disrupt their markets. Learn more at SI.com. You've been listening to IoT Leaders, featuring digitization leadership on the front lines of IoT. Our vision for this podcast is to be your guide to IoT and digital disruption, helping you to plot the right route to success. 
We hope today's lessons, stories, strategies, and insights have changed your vision of IoT. Let us know how we're doing by subscribing, rating, reviewing, and recommending us. Thanks for listening. Until next time.